Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. The word of the Lord. Love summer Sundays. I love one service. I love breakfast before the service. I love having us all in one room. It's really, it's great. If you are visiting with us this morning, we are thrilled that you're here on this, uh, this holiday weekend. Just to kind of give you some background, we've been, um, for the last several weeks, looking at the, this portion of the New Testament called Hebrews, which was a letter originally written to a, a group of Jewish Jesus followers who apparently were struggling with their faith. Apparently they, were, um, they weren't living in the, the freedom and the abundance of life that God offers us through Jesus. And so this author, who, whoever he or she was, was, was concerned about his friends. And so this author wrote to them to encourage them that, that they didn't need to settle for good enough but that they could step into the fullness of life that God has for us in Jesus. And so in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, a portion of which Beth just read to us, the author is going to tell this group of Jewish Jesus followers and tell us how Jesus helps us to deal with a guilty conscience. Anybody ever have a guilty conscience? Okay, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm scared of you right now. I mean, take, well, anyway. Um, The issue of conscience is an age-old problem. Conscience is what makes humanity different from animals. We feel guilty when we do bad things. Anybody ever heard of the conscience fund? Wow. Wow. Okay, so you can Google this when you get home. <laughs> Please don't do it now. People do it. Okay, the Conscience Fund was, was set up. It's, a, it's an office or part of an office of the, the Treasury Department. And it was started in 1811 when a, a New Yorker who was suffering from a guilty conscience, yes, it was a New Yorker, this guy sent in six bucks, and 
it says it with a note that said, I have been suffering the most painful pangs of conscience. Over the years, this fund has grown into the millions, all from people who have been sending in money because they're suffering from, from some kind of, of guilty conscience, and they, they're trying to appease or mollify their guilt by, by sending some money in. And often it's accompanied by a note. Uh, one said, I'll sleep better now. Another said, I'd hate to burn in hell for a couple of bucks. <laughs> my favorite was the guy who wrote, I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. Enclosed, find a check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> See, we have this, um, we have a guilty conscience. We, we try to do things to mollify it, to, to try to make amends in some way or nor, another. We, we try to do something that will earn some, you know, some good points or merit favor with God. In fact, some of you may be here this morning thinking that if you endure another one of Keith's sermons, you'll earn some points with God. The problem with that is, while doing something good might make us feel a little better, at the end of the day, we can never be good enough to remove our guilt. What the scriptures teach us is that right from the beginning, humanity was created in the image of God, and thus without sin, without guilt. But in a time-space occurrence and historical event, humanity fell and was corrupted. And thus, the reason that we feel, feel guilty is because we're guilty. It's because there is something to feel guilt over. The scriptures also teach that there is a way out from under that guilt, and it's called grace. This morning, we're going to examine the problem of conscience and how God cleanses our conscience through the work of Jesus Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 9, the author begins this chapter in verses 1 through 5 by talking about the tabernacle and the articles that were in the tabernacle. Uh, He talks about uh, the lampstand and the table and the curtains and the altar and the ark and what was in the ark and what was over the ark. And the author says at the end of verse 5, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now, which is exactly what I was going to say. We just, we don't have time to, to go in and talk about the significance of all of these articles. But the reason that the author introduces or, or brings them in, mentions them here is because this Jewish audience would have known about these articles. They would have known about their significance and importance. And so he he mentions them to set the stage for the point that he wants to make. He says in verses 6 and 7, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room 
and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Now I want you to notice the word only and the word once. One man once a year. One man once a year. Why? Why couldn't you have a sacrifice for sin and it all be done with? Why couldn't, um, why couldn't all of us come in? Why did it have to be this one man and he could only go in a certain way once a year? Well, to put, put it bluntly, it's because you and I and the rest of the world were not invited. No sinner was. Only the priest could, the high priest could come in, and, and the only reason he could come in is because God selected him. God selected him to, to be the one who would go in and represent the people before the presence of God. But the question is, why did God instruct Israel to, to do this Old Testament ritual? What was the significance of it? Verses 8 and 9 tell us. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. If you were here last week, you will remember that we talked about the Old Testament law and, and the Old Testament tabernacle. That In, in chapter 8, the author talks about them being a, a copy and a shadow. They weren't the real thing. They were just, they were a copy and a shadow of what was to come. And here it says it was an illustration showing that in the way, showing that the way into the presence of God was not yet known. In other words, if you were in the first century and you, um, and you stood outside of the tabernacle with, with a Jew, a first century Jew, and you said, um, excuse me, could I ask you a question? Um, there's a portion of, of your Bible in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, that's quoted in my Bible, in Hebrews 8, where, where God says that he's going um, to put his word in your mind, and he's going he's gonna to write it on your heart. And he's going he's gonna to create this new covenant where he's going to wipe away all your sin and where everyone is going to be able to come into his presence. So my question is, if there's going to be a new covenant, wouldn't that make the old covenant obsolete? If that Jew was consistent, he would have to say, yes, it does. Make the old covenant obsolete. But then if you asked them to follow up and said, okay, so if the old covenant is done away with and the new covenant is here, how then do we enter into the presence of God? That Jew would have said, um, I don't know. 
You see, because the way into the presence of God had not yet been revealed. It had not yet been made known. The old covenant, the tabernacle, was a copy, a shadow, a pattern, an illustration of what was to come. But it wasn't the real deal. And because it wasn't the real deal, the way into the presence of God had not yet been disclosed. It was veiled. Paul said the same thing to the, to the church in Corinth, uh, talking about the old covenant as communicated through Moses. He said in, in 2 Corinthians 3, he said, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, whenever anyone turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. You see, Paul's point to the, Christian, the, the Corinthians and the, the author of Hebrews, his point, not just here, but throughout this letter has been the only way to step into fullness of life, the only way to step into freedom, the only way to step into the presence of God is through Jesus. Jesus Christ removes the veil. He is the light which illumines the truth of the old covenant and, and ultimately gives it its meaning. But as long as you have a person who holds to the old covenant, they will never know the way into the presence of God. Now, there might be a couple of questions running through your mind. Uh, the first is, how do we today hold to the old covenant? Well, one way we do that is when we think we can try to remove our guilt. When we try to do it ourselves, when we try to, to, to appease our conscience by doing this or that or the other, that's old covenant stuff. That's works religion. And that's not what the new covenant is all about. Now, another question you might have is, so how could a person, Jew or otherwise, come into relationship with God before Jesus came? How could you do it? Well, a person came into relationship with God in the same way that we do. We are saved by grace through faith. They were saved by grace through faith. They trusted in God to save them through sacrifice. We trust in God to save us through sacrifice. The only difference was the content of faith. You see, the content of our faith is in the person of Jesus who was prophesied and typified in the law, who died as the sacrifice and then rose again on our behalf. The content of their faith was a little bit narrower. They held that they were saved not in themselves, but they acknowledged God's justice and trusted God to save them through sacrifice. You see, they believed in the Redeemer who would come. We believe in the Redeemer who has come. The point that the author is making is simply this. The law and the tabernacle 
were an illustration showing that no one comes to God in themselves. And the sacrifices being offered, verse 9 says, were not able to clear their conscience. They were powerless to effect real change. In fact, he goes on in verse 10. He says, the only mat- they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. In other words, all the ritual that we go through, all the, the trying to cleanse ourselves from the guilt that we feel, all of the writing checks to the conscience fund, all of that stuff, it's all futile. So how do you remove a guilty conscience? Well, think about it relationally. Relationally, how do you remove a guilty conscience? You go to the one who was offended and you admit your guilt, right? The problem with the Old Testament law was that you couldn't get to the one offended because you couldn't get to God. You had to stay at a distance. But verse 10 says that these things applied until the time of the new order. The Greek word translated as new order comes from the root word orthos, um, which means right. We get our word uh, orthodox, which means having right thought. The author is saying that these external regulations applied until the time when things were made right. They applied until the time Jesus came. Verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is, that is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You see, when, when Jesus came, God said, okay, no more temporal sacrifices. That's all done. No more goats, no more calves. That's all temporary. The real sacrifice is the one who will go willingly. The real sacrifice is born of a virgin in order to escape Adam's sin. The real sacrifice is is a holy man because he is God the Son. The real sacrifice is fully man because he is born of Mary. The real sacrifice will weep in a garden and be nailed to a cross and face the judgment of a holy, righteous God. And at that point, everything will be made right. Friends, Jesus was the great reformer. He was the one who brought brought in the time of the new order. The one who made things right. He doesn't remind us of sin like the law does. But he is the one who straightened things out, the one who deals with the problem. He is the entrance into the grace of God. He is the high priest of good things. Friends, Jesus Christ is the real deal. You see, the earthly tabernacle was a copy 
and a shadow and an illustration, but the, the cross is not a copy or a shadow or an illustration. It's the real deal. And by the real cross, Jesus entered into the real presence of God. And the, the, the knife of sacrifice is not a symbolic knife of judgment. Jesus went before the, the very real judgment of God. The fire on the altar is not symbolic of the wrath of God. Jesus endured the real wrath of God. See, when Jesus entered into the, the holy place, the, the, the tabernacle that is not of this creation, he didn't come into a place that had this box that contained the law, which represented the character of God. Jesus entered into the very real, holy presence of God. Because Jesus was a holy and willing sacrifice who shed his blood on our behalf. Verse 12, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The Greek word used here for redemption is the word latruo, and it literally means free from bondage. Jesus obtained our eternal freedom. I went to um, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and one of the, the men that the seminary was named for was A.J. Gordon. And, a, and, and Gordon was a, a uh, well-known, well-respected pastor in Boston in the uh, mid-1800s. And there, there's a story that, that's, that's told about him that one day he was, he was walking along and he, and he saw this boy that had two, um, two birds that were in this cage and they were kind of flopping around on the bottom of the cage and and Gordon came up to him and said what you know hey son where'd you get those birds and the boy said well I trapped them in the field and and Gordon said well what are you going to do with them he said feed them to my cats (laughs) and Gordon said well why why are you going to do that that seems a little rough isn't it you know why? Why don't you? Why don't you keep, keep them? He said, "They're not good for anything." He said, "They're ugly. They can't sing. They're not good for anything but food for my cat." And Gordon said, "I tell you what, I'll buy those from you. I'll give you two dollars for the cage and the birds." Boy said, it, "Mister, it's a deal, but you're a sucker because these birds aren't good for anything." So Gordon took the, gave the boy the $2 and took the, the cage with the birds and he went home and he went into his backyard and he opened the cage and he let the birds out. The next Sunday he was preaching to his congregation and he told the story and he held up the empty cage and he said, you know what I found out? I found out when you set the birds free then they can sing. He said, they went into my trees and they started singing. And he said, and you know what I think they were singing? Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. (laughs) 
Friends, there's not a nightingale among us. And we were ugly. But when God saved us, he freed us for eternity. And now we can sing because we're free. And as we sang earlier, we are freed. We are set free. Our chains are broken by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then Well, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, here it is, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You want to know how to have a clean conscience? You want to know how to remove your guilt? Well, you can't do it by writing a check to the conscience fund. You can't do it by showing up at church. You can't do it by taking communion. In fact, there's nothing that you can do that is good enough to cleanse your conscience. Your conscience is cleansed when you simply accept the work that Jesus has done for you in offering himself as a sacrifice. And I just want you to notice very quickly that it says we have a willing sacrifice. Jesus offered himself. You know, the lamb that was offered on the Day of Atonement was not willing. You had to chase down that lamb. You had to tackle that lamb. You had to carry that lamb and hand that lamb to the high priest. And the high priest had to hold on to that lamb and then had to tie that lamb on the altar because if you didn't tie it on the altar, it would jump off and run away. The lamb was not willing. But no one forced Jesus to go to the cross. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus was willing. And not only was he willing, but he he was a personal sacrifice. He didn't offer a lamb. He offered himself. He was a willing sacrifice. He was a personal sacrifice. He's also a holy sacrifice. It says that he was without blemish. Friends, we talk a lot about the cross. The cross does not save. It is the person who died on the cross who saves. And notice the result of the sacrifice. It is willing, it is personal, it is holy, and it is efficacious. It says that it cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death, or a better translation would be um, from dead works. That dead works is synonymous with, with religious deeds, the deeds performed in association with the sacrifices of the earthly tabernacle. It's all the stuff that we try to do to appease our conscience. Going to church, taking communion, sitting through a sermon, giving to some charitable organization. Those aren't bad things, and they may make you feel better for the moment. But at the end of the day, they don't remove your guilt. Only Jesus can do that. 
And when we put our faith in him, our conscience is cleansed, the text says, so that we may serve the living God. You see, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't, you don't live your life trying to be good enough so that you can appease your conscience. Because of Jesus, you know that your guilt is gone, and thus you serve God, and those, are, and those works are good. You realize that you don't purchase your redemption, but that, that your good works are in response to the fact that you've already been redeemed. It's what we talked about last week is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant says, live in this, in this way and then you'll receive grace. The new covenant says, you have received grace, now live in that freedom. The new covenant, the, the old covenant was sing and you'll get out of the, the cage. The new covenant is, You've been let free from the cage now. Now sing. That's the new covenant. The rest of chapter 9 talks about how the sacrifice of Jesus secures our eternal inheritance. And I think verse 15 sums it up well. It says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to what? Set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Friends, if you're here this morning and you are feeling the oppression of guilt, if you're wondering how to get rid of it, wondering how to cleanse your conscience, What the scriptures tell us is that through Jesus, God has made things right. He is not a copy or a shadow or an illustration. He is the real deal. He is the one who died in our place and he washes us clean to the soul. And the reason that we are saved is not because we are good enough. The reason that we are saved is because of a time-space event where God took my sin and he made it right before God. He punished what I did in Jesus, and now I am free to sing. If you are here this morning and you're holding on to your self-righteousness, for you, the first tabernacle still stands. If you're trying to earn favor with God for you the first tabernacle still stands and you cannot come into the presence of God you cannot step into the fullness of the life he offers no matter what you may do how you may wash you will never be able to remove the guilt of your soul only Jesus can do that because it is through him that God made things right. It is through him that we are cleansed. It is through him that we come into fellowship with the Father. Do you want fullness in life? Okay, that's like five of us. Do you want fullness in life? Do you want freedom in life? Do you want enjoyment and peace in life? Well, then it's not about being good enough. 
It's about trusting in the one who is absolutely good and has paid the price so that we might be set free. Trust in Jesus. He's the real deal. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's appropriate that this week that we celebrate our nation's independence, our nation's freedom. It is appropriate that today we would be reminded of the freedom that we have in you. That there's nothing we can do to earn your grace. We just receive it and then we live out of it. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who uh, continually strives to be good enough and can never feel the freedom. I pray, Lord, that today they would be set free. I pray that today they would recognize the sacrifice that you made on their behalf so that they can live these lives of good works. Lord, I pray that for all of us, that we would be able to sing because we're free. Lord, for anyone here this morning who has not yet placed their trust in Jesus and they're still trying to work it out, I pray that today they would just let go and they would let you they would receive the gift that you provided in the cross. And they would step into the abundant life that you came to bring us. I pray this for your namesake.